You're listening to Hawk Talk with former Seahawks wide receiver Michael Bumpus. Play fake, going to roll right, dumps it off into the right flat to Michael Bumpus who bounces off a of one tackler, gets inside the 40 down to the 35-yard line. Powered by Seahawks.com. Matt Pumpfakes looking to the goal line. He throws it into the end zone. Touchdown Seahawks! It's Michael Bumpus with a diving catch in the end zone. A 10-yard touchdown reception for Bumpus and the kid out of Washington State has found himself a place on this team. Now, here's your host, Nasa Chobie. Well, it was not the result the Seahawks wanted on their first opening game at Lumen Field as they fall to the Rams 30-13. to It wasn't great. I'm not going to lie to you. The score, you know, this game was probably a little closer than it looked, but the Seahawks did follow the Rams in the week one matchup in the division. But we're going to bring in the guy that we talk to every week after a Seahawks game, win, lose, or draw. Let's hear from our guy, Ray Roberts. It's time to go inside the trenches with former Seahawk Ray Roberts. What's up, Big Ray? How you doing, man? I'm hanging in there, Big Dog. How you doing? We're uh, me and Bumper surviving, man. We, we we took our lumps a little bit yesterday, <laughs> but we're we're pulling it together because right now it is very doom and gloom in the Pacific Northwest. Everyone is just like. Can't handle it. Everyone thought there'd be a better performance on Sunday, but it is what it is. Ray, tell me why it wasn't as bad as it looked on Sunday. Give me something positive. Well, the first positive thing I'm going to give you is that uh, all the things are correctable. The Seahawks on offense played pretty good offensive football uh, in the first half. They uh, they held the, the Rams to basically two yards to carry in the running game, and they carried the ball maybe 40 times. So the areas where the Seahawks defense struggled last year they actually was lights out on it. It's just in some other areas that they need to pick up and listen to the the, the guys in the post game. They don't seem too concerned about it. Pete Carroll was a little was surprised, obviously, by the way it started out and the way it finished. But he was, but he wasn't. Uh, he didn't seem scared or worried about that they couldn't make the corrections. Big Ray, that's the thing that um that stuck with me is that I look across the league and I see the Bengals go down. Um, I see. Uh, who else went down? Anyway, I, I just see matches across the league where teams that are favored to win take the L. When you are a player in this league and it doesn't work out week one, um, what's the feeling like in that room? You know, is it um, live to fight another day? Is the sky falling? I mean, take us back to your playing days <laughs> and how you felt after a, a week one loss. Well, unfortunately, Big Mike, like I was never on a team that was stacked as the Seahawks and was, uh, had so many expectations. Um, but I will say, you know, listen to, to the leaders of this team. Listen to Pete Carroll and then uh, Geno Smith and then even Bobby Wagner. And Bobby Wagner even said, hey, man, it's just week one. If you look around the league, I think the Chargers are 0-1, the Bengals are 0-1, the, the Chiefs are 0-1, the Seahawks are 0-1. You have 16 more games to play. And all of the things that they talked about um, that they needed to improve on that they didn't play well in, are things that you can fix. It's not like you don't have the skill or you don't have the talent or you haven't coached it up, what have you. Like Pete said, it just didn't come together the way that they had seen it in practice. And so I think, you know, put some emphasis on maybe the effort or the smaller details, and I think they'll be fine. Ray, kind of getting more nitty-gritty offensively, you know, the Seahawks scored on most of their possessions in the first half, and in the second half they just seemed like they couldn't stay on the field, running only 14 plays in that second half. Why do you think they weren't able to get into a rhythm? You know, uh, I think some of it, too, was like the, the defense was on the field for so long. Like they were, the, the, the Rams were going on like 12 and 13 and 14 play drives. And so as an offense, you kind of get out of a – you kind of get out of sync a little bit. You know, you don't have any 
rhythm and how you're what you're doing. And then they just couldn't find you know uh, some breaks here in the passing game. You know, they just really couldn't get the the passing game going. I think Gino was what three of nine, I think, in the second half. Uh, and so just didn't really get anything going in that space. And then you have your two offensive tackles go down, and that honestly that seemed to be what unglued the whole offense. It just seemed like everything fell apart once the tackles went down and uh, and the, the backups came in. And, uh, Stone Forsyth did okay, gave up one pressure. Jake Curran did do as well, gave up quite a few pressures and in, in, I think eight pressures in his 10 snaps. So uh, that didn't help at all. So just the, the offense got out of rhythm, got out of sync, couldn't stay, you know, get back to what they were doing in the first half. And they were running the ball well. Um, uh, K-9 was averaging probably about five or six yards a carry. So just never could get the rhythm back in the second half. I was going to ask you about K-9, man. What did you see from him? Why was he able to um to break off some of the big runs that we saw? And also, what did you see from Zach Charbonnet? I know there's not a lot to work with when it comes to numbers, but did you see any potential in the combo? And then specifically, what did you see in K-9? Yeah, well, with K-9, uh, I thought it was interesting in the postgame when uh, Robert Turbin said that, you know, he seemed more patient. But being patient is what he always had. But I think what what he did better this uh, in this first game was that he was he wasn't too patient. So he was patient enough to wait for the the, the hole to develop, and then he exploded uh, through the hole. And then there was a couple times where he bounced it to the outside, and he's able to he's one of the better running backs in the league at uh, making people miss. And so he did a, a few of those runs and made some yards. I just liked how he was patient and then really decisive versus just being patient the whole time and trying to stay behind the line of scrimmage and, you know, pick and pull for different little holes. He had a little bit of patience and then exploded through the hole. And then Charbonnet, you know, with he only, I think had two or three carries, but the force at which he was, he was running the ball, you could, you could tell that he carries a punch. And so it's two totally different style running backs. I think will work well um, with this offense because early in the game, in the first half, if you look, go back and look at the game, man, they were getting a lot of push on this Rams defense in the middle of the defense, even with Aaron Donald there. Like Aaron Donald was still doing his thing, but they were making some some room to run the ball in the middle of that defense. And then in the second half, they just didn't have the ball enough to even get that going. 14 plays is not enough to get anybody in any kind of rhythm. Well, one thing, Ray, I know 5.3 yards of carry is going to work any given Sunday, so hopefully the Seahawks and Ken Walker can get more opportunities. But overall, Ray, you know, you always want to hope to learn lessons, you know, about your team and about your players in wins. Obviously, that wasn't the case for the Seahawks, but, you know, can a game like this in week one turn out to be a good thing? Yeah, absolutely. I think because, uh, you know, we talked about this in the pregame, and you don't want to rely on a bunch of rookies and young players. But what those young players, I think, probably learned yesterday, and I think this is why we kept hearing uh, this idea around uh, they got the other team wanted it more, they worked harder. I don't. I think that's that was an internal locker room message that they were giving to themselves to kind of let everybody put everyone on notice that all the little details matter. And so whether it's like you're filling uh, in the right gap, whether you're fitting in the right spaces you're supposed to fit along the defensive line, if you're offensive line, if you're like getting the right angle, the right footwork, the right pad level, the running back, the quarterbacks, all those little bitty things matter. And I think that's what they were speaking to more than effort. Because even when I went back and watched the film, I didn't see a lack of effort. Maybe I saw a lack of effort as it, as it pertained to attention to the details. Um, and I think that is what they're going to get back on. The smaller details, I think, are the things that kind of cost them a lot uh, in, the, in this game, especially on defense. 
Hey, Big Ray, Um, we know the tackles were banged up last game. You have some guys on the bench that I think a lot of fans, fans are anxious to see. If you were the head coach or the offensive coordinator, would you explore with the lineup on that offensive line, even if the uh, your two tackles are healthy, would you mix things up, or would you give this this group another chance to try to get things right? No, I, I think if the if Big Abe and uh, Charles are healthy, that you stay with the same line that you you started with. Like they were they were doing fine, like they did well in the first half. The the sacks in the game came once the two tackles went out, and so uh, they were protecting well. They were running the ball well. And so with the two tackles out, now you may have to figure some things out. Jake Curran, who normally showed up pretty good, he's not the most athletic dude, the most skillful guy, but he's a good football player, and he, he doesn't normally give up pressures like that. And then Stone Forsyth, when I went back and watched it, played better than I thought. The only thing is with those two in there, you're going to have to really, I think, rely more on the running game, like use their physicality to kind of get the running game going to then feed the play action pass and move in the pocket in the passing game. I don't know if they'll hold up if they have to play, if you just drop back, throwing the ball, just dropping straight back the whole game. So, But if they started, if Lucas and Charles are healthy, I don't, I don't see any issue with what they have up front and how they played. Ray, you know, Every time the Seahawks play the Detroit Lions, you know, it makes me think of you. It is, in fact, the Ray Roberts Bowl. I'm calling it right now, Bump. Anytime this game is referred to from moving forward, it's the Ray Roberts Bowl. (laughs) We are excited for this game. It's going to be fun. We get going at 10 a.m. on Seattle Sports and Seahawks Radio Network on Sunday. Big Ray, thanks for joining us, and we'll, we'll talk to you later this week, man. Thanks, Ray. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, dog. All right, Bump. Let's get back into it. Tell everybody what we saw, what had happened. See, what had happened at first was. <laughs> what happened was. What had happened was. On Hawk Talk. It was just one of those days for the Hawks, man. I mean, a game where you were the favorites. Most people thought you were going to come out there and handle business at home. Didn't go your way. Uh, I don't think anyone slept on the Rams. Definitely no one in this building because it doesn't matter who this Rams team is. It doesn't matter who's coaching them. If it's Jeff Fisher, if it's Sean McVay. It doesn't matter if it was 2013 when the Seahawks won a Super Bowl. If it's right now, the Rams play the Seahawks tough. It's a division game. It's always going to be uh, tough between these two teams. But, man, yesterday was no different, man. They, I mean, come right out of the gates, bump. Opening drive. They had to set up the Seahawks settle for a field goal. But the Rams come right back, punch them in the face, and they go 16 plays, 75 yards, ending with a Kyron Williams touchdown, making the score 7-3 bump. Not the start you were hoping for for Seattle. Nah, man. And they um, it seemed like 25 plays. It took a long time. I believe you had each team had one possession in the first quarter, then was on to the second quarter. But then the Hawks will do their thing, right? You go 12 plays, 75 yards. You ISO DK. Uh, not isolate him. It was really an even a balanced set. We'll talk about this in film room. Got him one-on-one, boom, touchdown, 10 to 7. And then you add another field goal before you head into the locker room. It's 13 to 7. You're feeling good about this team. The first half had its ups and downs, but you're ahead. So you're thinking, okay, second half, they're going to come out and they'll be fine. Yeah, that's what we thought. We talked about it at the halftime show. Exactly the same thing you're saying now is Seahawks need to just fine-tune a couple little things, and that's exactly how we thought it'd go. You're playing the Rams. They're going to play it tight. And then Sean McVay, Paul Moyer said this last night, they threw everything at us with all the motions and everything that you know you do in a Sean McVay offense with Stafford back. So you thought the Seahawks kind of weathered that storm. But, man, coming out of halftime, really demoralizing start. Rams have another great drive, going 10 plays, 76 yards, ending in another Kyron Williams touchdown. The Rams would take the lead bump, never look back. And here's really what you need to know in terms of the stats in the second half. Rams scored on their final five possessions. On the Seahawks' final five possessions, they went punt, 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 end of game. 
and the Hawks ran 14 plays in the second half. 14 plays, 46 plays total. That lets you know just how much in control the Rams were. Um, the, uh, the Hawks had the ball for two minutes and 38 seconds in the third and 228 in the fourth. Overall, the Rams dominated possession, 39 minutes, 23 seconds to the Hawks, 20 minutes and 37 seconds. And then Matthew Stafford reminded us, well, we knew who he was. He yeah. said, y'all must have forgot because I was gone. I only played nine games last year. He goes 24, 38, 3, 34, and uh, attack the middle of the field. I think if you watch this game, even if you're just a casual fan that really know anything about football, you go, hey, why do they keep throwing it in between the hashes, which is the middle of the field? That's where they exploited this defense. Yeah, man, guys like Tutu Atwell went crazy. Six receptions, 119 yards, and Puka Nakua, the former UW Husky for two years, uh, had 10 receptions, 119 yards. He kind of did a nice job filling in that Cooper Cup role. Obviously, those two players are not Cooper Cup, but they filled in that role nicely. They got open over the middle of the field. They did a lot of things to work to get open, play off some of the pressures the Seahawks were doing, different things. And at the end of the day, it was a tail two halves. The Seahawks just couldn't get anything going in the second half, being outscored 23-0. to zero. But, Bump, here's why I'm going to tell you Seahawks fans shouldn't feel that bad. I was thinking about this going through the drive chart. Okay, Seahawks did only have 14 plays in the second half, right? This game really could have been impacted by three plays, and it's three third downs. So the first third down, crucial, it's the first Seahawks' first possession in the second half. What's the score at that point? 14 to 13. You get a first down. Even if you don't score, maybe you flip the field. Maybe that changes the game a little bit. Next series, now they're down 17-13. Okay, that's a one-score game. They can't convert on that third down, so you don't do anything to change field position. do nothing. They take time off the clock, and then it happens. Then the next third down they have, now they're down 24 to 13. Yes, they're down 11 points, but with 945 in the fourth quarter, this is the NFL. That is essentially, you go down there and score, it's one possession game, and you're right back in it. But to go to not convert on any one of those third downs, and then the next time they had a third down, they're down 27-13. Gino gets sacked two times, and the game's over. All that's to say, do they need to execute better? Of course they do. Do they need to bet yeah. on third down? Yeah, two for nine is not good enough. But I'm just saying it's not as far as people think it was. Did they not play great? Of course not. But they're right there. If they execute on a couple of those plays, they can do better. You said it earlier. Do you think the Bengals are going to score zero or three points the rest of the year? Of course not. So no. I just think people need to just pump the brakes a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. It's, um, it's the gift and the curse of week one. Because teams that came out and balled, all fans are thinking Super Bowl, baby. Playoffs, <laughs> baby. Division. We got it. Now, teams that came out and the team didn't look as hot, then, you know, you're thinking, oh, my God, what are we going to do? The sky is falling. But this is a game of adjustments. The curse also of football is that you got a week to digest yeah. and talk about and come up with scenarios. So, you know what? We understand they took an L. It wasn't a great performance. But you and I know better than to jump to too many conclusions after week one. Oh, of course not. Of course not. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about the playmakers. Touchdown, Seahawks! Playmakers. Showdown, what time it is? Holy captain! All right, we're looking at the playmakers from this matchup in week one against the Rams. It's not a big of a list as you'd think just because you look at the stat sheet, not a lot of plays on offense, too many plays on defense. But I'll get it started with the running back who did look well. Ken Walker, 12 carries, 64 yards, averaged 5.3 yards a carry. We talked about it with Ray Roberts a little bit earlier. If they had more opportunities, I think Ken Walker could have had a really big game. You know, the, a couple runs out on the sideline and just being patient, all the stuff that they talked about, Turbo talked about. I think that's a really good sign for Ken Walker. You know, he had been banged up with some injuries throughout camp. 
We saw no inkling of that at all on, on Sunday. So I think it's a good start for Ken Walker. Once he gets more than 12 carries, if he's around 20 carries or so, that he's going over 100 yards every game. I think that's how good he is. Yeah, I was surprised with how he looked, honestly. I know with that groin injury, that's your lateral movement, explosiveness, and he looked pretty good, man. Had a couple big runs, so good for him. Yeah, man, and D.K. Metcalf looked good, man. Three receptions, 47 yards, one touchdown. The touchdown that he made, I, he got into his bag. Like, I see, I keep seeing the evolution of D.K. every single year, and uh, with that touchdown, he tied Daryl Taylor for sixth place on Seattle's all-time receiving touchdown list with 36 so it's um you can only go up from here, man. You can only go up when it comes to uh to DK and, and Tyler and JSN. I know we're not gonna mention those guys, but um when you see DK do well, that means more attention will be on him and other guys will be able to eat. Yeah, no question about it. Again, it's all about it's all about for offensively, it's all about snaps. You you don't have forty six snaps, it's not enough to get your playmakers really involved, but good to see DK get loose a little bit there. And then I think the best performance of the day was number 54, his big homecoming. That moment was really special, watching him come out of the tunnel. You know, Bobby Wagner back in a Seahawks uniform, all is right with the world, and, and the crowd just showing their love because everyone in Seattle obviously loves Bobby Wagner. He's a future Hall of Famer. And the thing about people in the Pacific Northwest is you claim Bobby Wagner is yours, man. When you see Bobby yeah. on the street, you, you have some pride because, you know, that, that dude put on for the city and has put on for this team for a really long time. So good to see him back. And then on the field, he didn't disappoint. 19 tackles, nine solo, one TFL. And before people jump on us and say, hey, 19 tackles, who cares? They're all down the field, blah, blah, blah. Go back and watch the film. He made a ton of tackles at or around the line of scrimmage, and he was active. Oh. So, you know, I think he's going to get home more on some sack opportunities as this year goes on. But it was really good to see Bobby back because he's a 12-year vet, but I have no idea if I was watching him on Sunday. Yeah, man, it was, um, it was nice to hear the roar when they introduced Bobby. Everyone gets some love when you run out the tunnel to do the introductions. But when 54, his name was called, it, it was different. It felt different. Good to see him. Yeah, man, another guy that I did not expect to see was Jordan Brooks, man. He had uh, tore his ACL late in the season. He has surgery this year. And I'm going out to training camp. I'm seeing him running around and doing his thing, him and Jamal rehab. And I go, who we'll see him in like maybe November or something like that. Nah, a few weeks before the season starts. Um, P. Carroll lets us know that he's off the PUP list, off the PUP list, and he might be available. Even then, I'm thinking, no way he's going to play week one. He did play week one. He had 12 tackles. I mean, that's probably one of the greatest recoveries I've seen other than Adrian Peterson back in the day. Yeah, and the fact that you watched him, you'd have, again, you'd have no idea if you said he's coming off of a serious injury, you'd be like, well, where was it? What knee, right. what elbow, what shoulder, what toe, what ankle? No, Jordan Brooks, he looked fast. He was running around, he was running, hitting. Looked like the Jordan Brooks of old. And he got those 12 tackles even on kind of a little bit of a pitch count because he was he took some plays off when it was either nickel or the Jordan, uh, Devin Bush got a couple reps. So love to see Jordan Brooks. He's only going to ramp up and keep this thing going. So excited for him there. Bump, we'll get into the receiver roundup. It, not a lot. Not a lot to kind of go <laughs> through here. You know, as a team, there's only 16 receptions. Metcalf led all receivers three for 47 and a touchdown. Disley, two receptions. Smith and Jigba, three receptions, only 13 yards. And, yeah, to have no one over 50 is a, is a tough day. 16 receptions, 112 yards, and one touchdown for the unit. Yeah, it was a tough day, man. Uh, no one had more than five targets. That's DK and Kenneth Walker. We did get to see Jackson Smith and Jigba. He had a big reception. I believe that was a third down, one of the few third downs yep. that um the Hawks did convert. It was a long of 10. But overall, nothing, nothing really impressive here. Uh, you can only go up from here. Uh, 
That's why I'm excited. I really just want to get to next week. I understand what this podcast is, Nas. We got to do it. We got to recap this thing. But when you look at the performances and the numbers, you're thinking, okay, we won't see another week like this. But uh, we're not done here. What we got next, man? Oh, yeah. No, I, uh, I can't wait. Next time we look at this box work bump, we're going to see multiple 100-yard receivers. I promise you that. promise you that. But we'll take a t- nice little look. We'll dive inside the film room and look at one of the, one of the good plays on offense. This was when Geno Smith found DK Metcalf for a 10-yard touchdown. 12th play on the drive, second down and nine. Charbonnet stays in the backfield. Here comes the blitz. Gino has time. Throws it over the top. Metcalf, touchdown! Seahawks! The Rams blitz. They go to a man-to-man on DK Metcalf. Not a chance, baby. Gino Smith wafts it up over the top from 10 yards out. Metcalf has now tied Daryl Turner for sixth place on the Seahawks' all-time receiving touchdowns list with 36, and they made it look easy. Bump, break this down, man. Oh, my goodness. Man, you're on the 10-yard line, the 9-yard line. It's second and nine, and what we see is we see two high safeties, and the the DBs are showing you man coverage. So you're thinking, if I'm Geno, I'm thinking pre-snap? Oh, yeah, I'm about to give DK a shot. He's one-on-one on the outside. You got Jackson Smith and Jigba inside. And then the Rams send a blitz. They got two guys going, so they're sending six. You have five offensive linemen. You got one running back to block. I think Zach Charbonnet does a great job picking up the blitz, giving Geno just enough time. So now let's talk about DK and his release. We call this a tempo release. He jumps off the line of scrimmage, attacks the space in between him and the defender, and does a little walk towards him a little bit, and then shakes him at the top, shows him an inside move, gets the DB to bite. Gino, all he has to do is get to his back foot and put it in a spot, and the rest is there. It was probably the easiest touchdown of DK's career. How many is that, 36? Yeah. yeah, that was the easiest one of his career, all because of what he did at the line of scrimmage, and Gino doing a great job of understanding what they're in and taking a shot with his guy. Do you remember when the conversation was about whether DK could run routes? Yes. Isn't that kind of laughable now, thinking about that? Man. I mean, for for a long time, everyone's like, well, I don't know, he's just fast, he can't run routes. From a defensive back perspective right here, you know the call, so you know they're bringing pressure, and you're just mm-hmm. really hoping if you're that DB, man, we better get home. Right. Because that's a lot of space to be on an island alone. You know, he tries, if you watch him, he looks like he's inside leverage right to start, and he kind of looks like he's trying to protect outside. And then because of that, DK gives him a little bit. He knows he's bringing pressure. It's on the goal line. So he, you know, goes right downhill, drives on the what he thinks is a slant. And the second he takes one step, we call that the O bleep read as defensive <laughs> backs because you know right there, once that foot goes in the wrong place, you're just hoping Gino is going to get hit or the ball gets thrown in the stands. But Murphy's Law, usually when you're the guy that gets beat like that, that the ball's going to find you. That's just yeah. <laughs> that's life. You're not going to get lucky. So uh, cool to see DK Metcalf show him that he can run routes. Obviously, we've known that for a minute, but just cooking a Rams defender, and hopefully we get to see more of that as the season goes on. But like we said, the Seahawks didn't go their way, losing to the Rams, and the clock ran out. A knee taken by Hundley. They're just going to let the clock wind down. Pete's not even going to bother taking that last time out. Oh, it was a tale of two halves. Seahawks did not punt in the first half, but punted every possession in the second half. Rams scored in every drive of the second half bump. That's pretty much all you need to know how things went and how this game went from a, a Seahawks 13-7 lead to a 30-13 to loss. Yep, they dominated the time of possession, and they did all of this without Cooper Cup, man. Just one touchdown from the Seahawks all day. The third down was a problem, man. At one point, at one drive, the Rams went 5-for-5 five five on third downs. End of the day, 11-17. The Hawks were 
for nine on third downs, whenever you see that, you can just assume that the offense wasn't moving the ball down the field. Yeah, man, it's a it's a day that you want to forget, man. And I think after today, today's Tell the Truth Monday here at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center, the coaches, the players, everyone's reviewing the film, looking at it, but it's over. Once once their meeting's over today, bump, they're turning the page. We're not going to look about any of the bad stuff. The one good thing, though, another good thing, like I told you, we've been telling you reasons to be optimistic today. Another one is the run defense, allowing just 92 yards on 40 carries, Okay. And here's the thing. I, I've heard from some people throughout the day, um, even your co-host, Bump, talking about, you know, still not sure about that run defense. And that's true. Mm-hmm. It's one game. Just like as bad as the Seahawks look, we can't take everything from one game. What I will say, though, is anytime any team in the National Football League runs the ball 40 times and you only give up 92 yards, that's a good day. Because right. at some point, if you that, that volume of carries, you're going to get some yards. And, yes, did they get a couple one-yard touchdowns? Yes, did they get a couple third and shorts? Okay, that doesn't take away from the fact that the Seahawks were making tackles at the line of scrimmage, one, two, three yards. So that's the, another good sign. I Hopefully they can build on this going into next week bump. But, uh, man, I'm just excited. I, you know, this is, as far as we're concerned, we're done talking about it. It's over, right? Done. <laughs> I'm ready for it, Bump. What? I, real quick, as we close out, what are you looking forward to this week? Ah, uh, man, I'm looking forward to Tuesday. I'm looking <laughs> forward to uh, prepping for the Detroit Lions. I'm looking forward to seeing the adjustments that this staff is going to make. Lots of veteran veterans on this staff. There's no way the Hawks are going to come out and have the same performance that they had against the Rams. So, hey, turn the page. It's a wrap. Okay, digest it, <laughs> flush it, and let's go. You heard the man. Remember, you guys, we'll be with you all season. You can catch us on SiriusXM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. And remember, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts to rate us, we appreciate the love. Give us a five stars if you want to keep listening. So he's Michael Bumpus. I'm Nasa Chobi. This has been another edition of Hawk Talk. We will talk to you on Wednesday.